Welcome, everybody. Welcome to worship. Hey, today we have our special friend, Megan Freeman, all the way from Washington, D.C. 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 Megan is here. Megan used to sing with me all the time, and then she, she broke my heart and moved away. And so she was going to be in town. I was like, you have to sing. So here she is. Megan, take it away. Thank you. You're welcome. So good to be with you all this morning. Daniel asked me to choose a call to worship, and I chose one from Revelation. So great news, great times. Um, but I do, I do think it's perfect for the new year. It says, Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son.
Amen. Uh, we have the men's ministry playoff party that's happening on the 15th of January. Um, I'm sure you can get more information on the website. Uh, right, Jane? You think there's information on the website? All right. Okay. Go check it out and uh, send us an email or a text if you can't find it. <laughs> okay? <laughs> this is the best you're going to get from hosting today. So, All right. We have new small groups that are starting this January. So uh, contact Jenny Trees and, and get more information. We'd love to see you be part of a small group, part of a community that, that you can study and grow and, and be cared for and care for others. So make sure you check that out. Hey, thank you for your continued giving and support to Hillside and to the mission of Hillside. We're so grateful that we, um, we get to still serve, we get to still come and get to still um, do all what God has called us to do. So thank you. Um, a reminder that uh, there are different ways for you to give. Now we even have uh, text to give, and we have more information on the website as well. Uh, we have the baskets in the back, or you can go on the, on the church app, church center app, or you can go on the website and give your offering. So thank you for joining us. Let me go ahead and pray and thank God for our offerings. I invite you to pause and give thanks for the resources that God has given to you this morning. The ways that he has blessed you. If there are needs in your life that you would like to uh, give up to our God this morning, this is the time for you to do that. Think of the needs that, and wants and desires that you have. Bible says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. We thank you that every penny that we have belongs to you and you have given to us to be stewards of these blessings. We say thank you for all the blessings that we have that we enjoy. There's so many of them and we say thank you. Thank you for Hillside. Thank you for all the gifts and all the offerings and tithes that um, your people have given and continue to give. We say thank you. God, would you replenish and bless them and meet all their needs. Thank you for this time. Bless our offering as it is an extension and part of our worship. We say thank you. We give all these gifts to you. Use it, oh God. Give us wisdom to use it well for your glory and for your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. body bound and drenched in tears 
down in Joseph's tomb, the entrance sealed by heavy stone. Messiah still and all alone. Oh, praise the
Amen. Yeah. Amen. Be seated. Good morning, everyone. It's really good to see you all. We've got a pretty good group here this morning. I thought it would be just a tiny little cozy bunch. So I prepared a little cozy sermon for us. But <laughs> it's a pleasure to be with you on this first Sunday of the year. That's really a um, kind of a, you know, it's a good feeling it's to start the new year. Let's begin with a prayer. Lord Jesus, we are glad to be gathered here in your name. We invite your Holy Spirit to do your work in us as we read and proclaim your word. Amen. So I hope you had a wonderful Christmas celebration. I love the Christmas story. It's a kind of a wild scene as we conflate it into sort of one, one place. We've got a lot going on. The star is shining. You know, the angels are singing. The shepherds are kind of pushing their way in, the baby's in the manger, and then we add in the magi on top of that, and it gets, um, yeah, it's a lot going on. But then, like all big events, things um, go back to normal, gradually anyway. The star dims, and the shepherds go off to tell their story to others, and the angels return to heaven. The magi make their journey home, and the celestial chorus fades, and the animals in the stable settle down, relieved that all that is over with, I'm sure. So Mary and Joseph then are left to kind of pick up the, the pieces of their normal life. And um, so I thought it would be interesting to kind of hang with them um, a little bit longer and see what we can learn from the rest of the, um, Luke chapter 2. One of my favorite chapters in the, in the Bible. And Luke is my favorite gospel. And the free, first three chapters are pure poetry. So if you haven't read them in a while, I just recommend to just take the, the pleasure of sitting down and reading those three chapters. <clears throat> Luke spins a tale like no one else, that's for sure. So for Mary and Joseph, getting back to normal meant, um, among other things, observing some of the prescribed Jewish customs that needed to happen following the birth of a child. So the first of these is circumcision and the naming of their baby eight days after the birth. So we're going to read um, this morning. I'm, I'm hoping it all comes up on the... We're going to start with um, verse 21. We're going to cov cover verse 21 to 52, but that'll be good. I'd like to be able to see it. There we go. Now I see it. Okay, so I'll read. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. All right. And so then following the circumcision, there were other rituals that needed to be carried out. And we'll pick those up in verse 22 and following. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So this takes place several weeks after the circumcision. And there are actually two rituals happening here, and Luke kind of um, 
weaves them together here, but the first is the presentation of the child to the Lord, and according to the law, the first child of every woman, if it was a male child, had to be symbolically sacrificed by dedicating him to the priesthood. And the, the, the law for this is found in Exodus 13.2. The reasons go back um, to the Exodus from, from Egypt, actually. <coughs> Excuse me. And then um, after they sort of deliver the baby to the Lord, God has this gracious provision where they can buy him back for five shekels. So that was very sweet of God. <laughs> Parents were all relieved. The second ritual required by the law was the purification of the mother following childbirth. And this requires an animal sacrifice, a lamb and a dove or a pigeon. And because many families could not afford a lamb, they, um, and Mary and Joseph could not, they could substitute another um, pigeon or dove, which is what they did, two doves. And so once these animals were sacrificed by the priest, the mother was declared ceremonially clean. So today all this seems a little bit bizarre and chauvinistic, but for hundreds of years the Jewish people um, they loved these, um, this system of sacrifice because it was God's merciful provision for them to put them back in right relationship with God. So it was, um, they were, it was not a thing they resented, I don't think. It was something that they, they loved God for having it. Now I'm sure that Luke appreciated the great irony um, of these sacrifices being carried out in the front of the one who would be the ultimate sacrifice and who would indeed end the whole system of sacrifice. Um, but he was just a baby then, and we don't know what he was thinking. And so now we have a sudden interruption of these rituals by a man called Simeon. So let's pick it up in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. You may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled and what was said about him. So it's a beautiful scene where this man now is ready to die because the Holy Spirit has shown him what he longed for, the Messiah, the hope of Israel. But then a dark shadow clouds the picture. And I'm going to ask someone to come up and read the scriptures for me. Gary, would you do it? Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel 
and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Thank you. Stay right there. (laughs) And so we get the first hint that salvation will come at a great cost. And the pain inflicted on Mary will be just a part of it. But the shadow passes, thankfully, as another unexpected visitor arrives. In verse 36. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So what Anna said when she went out to spread the news is not recorded. But in that regard, she resembles another woman, a much younger woman, that we've run across in John chapter 4. If you recall the story of the Samaritan woman at the well who met Jesus some 30 years later and then went out to tell all about him to people, but we don't know what she said either. So Simeon and Anna are representatives of what um, scholars call expectant Israel. They were different from the rest of the Jews because um, who were considered observant Israel. Observant Israel was really focused on the law. Um, They believed in the Messiah coming also, but the expectant um, Jews were really praying for his coming. And they are also very righteous and devout, but they were actively waiting for the redemption of Israel. So after these visits, Luke quietly concludes the story of Jesus' birth. Verse 39 and 40. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Thank you. So Joseph and Mary go back to normal life, and they're done with holy disruptions for a while. Well, for 12 years to be exact. And that brings us to the final story in chapter 2. So let's hear it in its entirety. Verse 41 through 53, or 52. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and answers. Verse 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? 
Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So this little story is remarkable for several reasons. It's the only account in the Gospels of an event in Jesus' childhood, you know, besides when he was a baby. Um, and it lets us know that Mary and Joseph also lived through every parent's worst nightmare, that sudden realization that you don't know where your child is. Now, I was, I was close to 40 when I had my first and my only child, my daughter Jenna. So I was very accustomed to being an independent adult among other independent adults. That was my life. And I never actually lost my daughter, but I had repeated nightmares about losing her. I kept think I dreamed that I'd forgotten her at the shopping mall and I'd just driven home because I just was so not, my brain was not used to having a baby with me or the grocery store or the library, whatever it was, I dreamed that I came home and I was just doing my thing and then I suddenly realized I'd lost her. So I can read between the lines of this story and feel a little bit of what Joseph and Mary must have felt when they realized this. So the text brings up uh, a lot of questions. First of all, how could his parents not know for a whole day that he was missing? And why didn't Mary and Joseph understand his reply? Some larger questions like why this episode, of all the things that Jesus probably did during his childhood and young adulthood, why this particular story that chosen by Luke? <clears throat> what can we learn from it? Anything? Well, a few, few answers, some observations. Um, Jesus' parents are good, pious Jews, and so they're making this annual trip to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. There were other um, holidays or celebrations during the year too, but the one that nobody wanted to miss was going for the Passover. And so Jesus was 12, and so perhaps this was his first um, trip. Uh, as a young person. Maybe he you know, went as a baby but hadn't gone prior to that. Age 12 is the age where um, many think a boy became the full member of the community at that time. So it could be um, it was his first, first time in a long time. And I just wanted to point out something that Luke does. Um, one of the reasons I like reading him. In the beginning it says it's talking about the parents going up to Jerusalem, and the term is as usual or as always or according to a custom. Um, it depends on your translation, but they are ascending to Jerusalem with things being as they always have been. And then later they will return to Nazareth, and that word is descending and going back down to Nazareth, and things are no longer the way they were. So it's just a, a nice little visual that Luke gives us. So Luke's, or Je Jesus' parents didn't miss him at first. They no doubt assumed he was part of their large, he was with their large extended family. And um, so, and also it was believed that the men traveled separately from the women. The women and children went slower, so the men would stay behind and 
you know, just enjoy themselves for a while and then take off later, and they'd all come together um, for dinner. So um, Jesus was, being 12, he might have been enjoying um, his first time with the men. So that was, might have been um, what was happening here. But at any rate, they didn't miss him at first, but when they did, um, the term after three days, they finally found him, and, and for a parent, that just is very alarming sounding, like, your child is missing for three days, <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, but when you kind of think, of think it through, it's a little more understandable. They, they discovered him missing on the evening of the first day as they traveled out, and then that evening when they came together, they realized he wasn't with them. And when they didn't find him, um, they set out to return to Jerusalem, and that took another day, so that's day two. And then they searched around Jerusalem for him, and that was kind of day three before they finally found him. So when they find him at last, he's listening and asking questions like a polite, young, teachable man. Um, and the story kind of brings up the question of when did Jesus first become aware of his unique identity as the Son of God? Have you ever thought about that? You know, as when, when did he know that consciously? We know certainly he did as um, when he started his ministry. Um, but before that, you know, when did it happen? As an infant or when he could walk and talk? Um, I don't know. My thought is that it's, well, it's an unanswerable question, so we can only speculate. But since he was fully human, it makes sense to me that his identity would be revealed to him by the Father gradually in kind of stages as um, at chosen points in his life. And I think well, this was maybe one of those points where he got an insight. Um, and as this trip to the temple and the holy city was kind of an occasion for uh, an illumination about his identity. Um, and so we do know at this point, Jesus considered God his father. For he said, did you not know I had to be in my father's house? Um, and father, calling God father was not common in um, those days. The Old Testament, there's a few references to God as father, but mostly it's not. Uh, it's more, we're so used to it, it seems normal. But at that time, did I not, uh, did you not know I had to be in my father's house? That was kind of an unusual way to talk about God. So that was kind of a radical change. Now when Mary um, sees, finally sees Jesus, she says what exactly what any mother would say in that situation. How could you do this to us? She's very upset. I love that it's so realistic. And then Jesus' response really seems to baffle his parents. Uh, and the text says that uh, they did not understand what he was saying to them. And um, so we wonder, didn't they already know who this was, you know, considering the birth and everything? Um, again, we can only speculate. But um, I think they probably did know that child was special, and um, especially during those first years and the, when the events surrounding his birth were still very fresh. But 12 years is a long time. And I think maybe they um, were lulled into thinking this child's just going to grow up normally and get married and have kids and, you know, kind of all that heaviness is kind of stashed away somewhere. <coughs> <Sorry. coughs> 
The other possibility is that this could be an example of God <coughs> hiding certain knowledge until an appointed time, which we see with the disciples in, um, in the Gospels. It's interesting to note that in the beginning of the story, it's the parents who go up to Jerusalem and Jesus is with them. If you note that, how the text reads, <coughs> well, at the end of the story, it's Jesus who goes down and his parents are with him. So there's been kind of a slight shift in relationship here. Very subtle, but um, Luke communicates it. I think we can see now why Luke chose this episode um, from Jesus' young life. Because so much is revealed here. We see Jesus' extraordinary wisdom when he was young, impressing the rabbis. We see his identity emerging as the son of God. And we get a glimpse of the unexpected nature of this coming Messiah. As he returns home and is obedient to his appearance and waits patiently for his time to come. Now these are beautiful, engaging stories. But what are we to learn from them? How are they to shape us and um, enable us to be light in the world? So, as is so often the case when we read and study scripture together, we each might get a separate message. Something might speak to me and something else might speak to you. So I'm going to share with you what spoke to me as I was preparing today for today. So for over 40 years, the most important thing in my life has been to know God and deeply and personally and to do what God desires me to do. But as I was studying and writing, I had to ask myself, am I still living this out? And I think I used to, very much so, but I, I have to admit, and this is a little embarrassing, but I fear some lukewarmness has seeped into my veins. I don't know, maybe it's a function of age, or I don't know what it is, but I'm not happy about it, let me put it that way. So two things struck me in these stories. First, I was struck by how the people lived out their number one priority. And I don't just mean young Jesus, certainly he did as he followed God's call, but primarily I'm thinking about Simeon and Anna. They really got to me, how devoted they were to, to God. And they um, prayed constantly and praised God and fasted. Now, I know that's extreme, but, um, but it's still an amazing example. They were very sensitive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, which really only comes from ongoing close contact with God. And if you're not having that, um, you can miss some nudging by the Holy Spirit. Now, I know you can say, well, they were old. They were obviously retired. <laughs> they didn't have to work to pay the bills, manage a family schedule, find time to decorate the Christmas tree. I know. But even in retirement, there are a lot of other things that could be number one. We do, we still make choices all through our life. So the second thing that really struck me was their example of faithful prayer. 
Anna and Simeon had been praying for years upon years for the Messiah to come. And those prayers were answered in the most marvelous and tangible way. Um, but it took years and years of praying um, for that to happen. And it made me think of all the things I could be praying for. And I won't make the list of them, but you can, you can kind of imagine things that seem so impossible to me right now. World peace, just to throw something out, you know. Um, and so I pray for them only half-heartedly or maybe even not at all. Um, but I don't think Simeon and Anna ever prayed half-heartedly for the Messiah to come. And they had to deal with that 5,500 years of silence um, since the Lord last spoke through his prophets. So they were really praying in faith. I could see that these people clearly had God as their number one priority and that they were living it out. And those two things um, challenge me to do the same. And so I asked God to help me, literally, to do that. And if you pray for me ever, you might pray that, that I can keep God my number one priority and live the, as if God is my number one priority. And I invite you to set aside some time just to reflect. I put a few questions on the bottom of your handout sheet. Maybe not the best questions in the world, but um, things to think about. What do I really deeply desire for my life? What is my highest priority? Um, what would my life look like if I were living that out? They're just good things to be thinking about. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you know we are but dust. You know we make resolutions this week and we forget them next week. You know our weaknesses and our holy desires. We are beyond grateful that you love us just as we are. Thank you. We are also so grateful that you promised to help us. Help us become who you designed us to be. I ask that you would give us each a gentle nudge in the coming days, prompting us to examine our life and align our desires and our priorities with yours. And so we pray in the strong and beautiful name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins And sinners plunged beneath that flood Lose all their guilty stains Lose all their guilty stains Yeah.
solemn church of God be saved to sin no more sinned by faith I saw the stream I flow wing wounds of took a walk this morning with my little dog Chester and it was so cold I don't know if anybody else was out early this morning but it was the sky was kind of low and leaden and um, it was it was kind of interesting it was sort of magical in a way that rooftops were all covered with with frost and the, I, the grass was crunchy and um, the leaves on the trees were just quietly falling. There seemed to be something that was just causing them all to fall really fast. But it was very quiet and the leaves were falling. And Yeah, it was cold. It wasn't as cold as Madison, Wisconsin, walking to class at 7 in the morning, which is where I went. <laughs> or Chicago, right. But I thought about that and I thought I can, I can describe that feeling I had this morning. But um, you had to be there. And I think communion is kind of like that. You know, we can, we can talk about it, we can explain it, we can understand the theology behind it, but it's more than a concept for our minds. It's something that has to be experienced. And I'm convinced that that is why Jesus took the time when minutes and hours were precious to him. He took the time to give his disciples a way to experience um, this truth uh, of his sacrifice for us. And it, it became a sacrament. And a sacrament is a beautiful word. And it, it really means an outward um, and visible sign of an spiritual grace. Let me say that again without stuttering. It's an outward and visible sign of a spiritual grace. So there's something happening here. It's a spiritual thing that's happening. And it is an outward expression of that spiritual happening. So I just, I just love to appreciate that. Um, so now let's immerse ourselves in this wordless mystery, this covenant of flesh and blood. If you have not received one of these cute little cups, um, please raise your hand and Rod will come and bring them to you. And um, Rod, I don't see any other hands going up. Oh yeah, over on the side there. Great. Good, thank you. So, 
on the Lord in the night when our Lord knew he was going to be betrayed. Um, he's with his disciples, and he took some bread. And when he had given thanks for it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, after supper, he took one of the cups of the Passover meal, and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. And whenever you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And the Apostle Paul tells us that we, whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we're proclaiming the Lord's death and what that accomplished until he comes again. And so let's participate now in this beautiful sacrament. Um, I'm going to join you by using this. So let's first take the, um, the, the little bread piece. Hold on. body of Christ. Let's eat together. And now the blood of Christ. Let's drink together. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for your, oh, your great love for us that enabled you, that drove you, that made you know you had to give your son. And we thank you for his obedience in giving his life for our sake. So we just, um, there's no other word but gratitude that can describe what we feel right now. And so I won't say anymore. It's just gratitude. And it's in Jesus' beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.
as you wait for the crown. So come to the altar, lay down your burdens so that you can bear the cross of Christ to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the world, to speak to all the people and all the nations. Sing this with me. Bear the cross as you wait for the crown.
My friends, if you would like prayer this morning, um, we have Laura's over here and I'll be up here. Um, so come forward if you would like some prayer. And my dear beloved friends, it's a brand new year. Yes. And Jesus is calling. Amen. So let's follow him. We've got the power of the Holy Spirit behind us. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week.